0: Back to ComposerQuest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis, and I started this show because I wanted to share insights from other composers and songwriters about how they make music. You can hear all the episodes and learn more about these artists at ComposerQuest.com. In the previous episode, I talked with Marybeth Hutland, who experiences synesthesia, where she sees colors when she hears music, and in this episode... I happened to, halfway through the interview, find out that this guest also has the same kind of synesthesia. This episode features Warren Hildebrand, who writes songs and produces them under the name Foxes in Fiction. So I once again get to be a little bit of a pseudo-psychologist and ask Warren about his synesthesia. Also in this episode, Warren shares his advice on everything from starting a cassette tape label to creating music that serves as therapy for yourself when you're in a dark spot in your life. So let's get right to my talk with Warren Hildebrand. Warren, thanks for being on Composer Quest.
1: Yeah, of course. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Maybe you could talk about your project that you've been doing for several years, Foxes in mm-hmm. Fiction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I've been doing Foxes in Fiction since I was about 15 years old. It kind of started it off as just kind of like a way for me to try out bizarre methods of experimentation and production that I was interested in at that time. So I was making like a lot of tape collage and kind of uh, like noisier stuff. As time went along, it turned into more of like an ambient and pop thing as a certain uh. I guess events in my life transpired and I kind of arrived at what it is today.
0: I think Jimmy Bleach Ball was the first track
1: I heard. From oh, oh, nice, that's awesome. Time, the musical part was done like one night, like starting I think at like 1 or 2 a.m. and wrapped up was to like 7 a.m. in the morning. We just kind of like caught a wave of inspiration and tried to finish it. The lyrics are kind of just like a simple reflection of a memory I had of, of some of my friends when I was younger. I started recording that album at a really weird, dark time in my life. It had been about a, a year since my younger brother had passed away, and I had just come out of like a really bad, like I guess what you could describe as a mental breakdown. The only thing that really helped me through that period was listening to really, like, ethereal and dreamy and ambient music. I kind of wanted to, like, take the healing effect that I experienced from that music and transpose it into my own stuff. It was kind of my first time wanting to make something I could possibly put out into the world and have other people connect to an hour of, like, audio therapy. That was really the whole idea for recording Swung from the Branches.
0: Seems like... You have built up a following of people who appreciate that style.
1: Yeah, the the feedback I got from it was really positive and really overwhelming at times. I mean, I was getting these kind of messages from people who were just at these really dire intersections in their lives, and just hearing like how uh, my music had helped them was it's like the most validating aspect of the whole recording process for me. I think. Why
0: is it that drones and like looping music is really kind of therapeutic?
1: Yeah, no, you're definitely right. I don't know. I think it's just something about kind of being able to like let go of your thoughts and you don't really have to pay attention to any dramatic changes in dynamic or anything and it's kind of just like audio Xanax or something.
0: <laughs> What's your actual process when you're coming up with a track?
1: For like the more like ambient and droney stuff, pretty much all of it is done on guitar. A lot of people think that it's synthesizer, but it's pretty much just like lightly processed electric guitar a lot of times I'll just like start with a guitar loop of just kind of like some guitar swells or something. And then I'll drop that into my computer and kind of process it in Ableton and then bounce it back and forth between like tape machines a couple of times to kind of give it a warmer worn down feel. I just really like the sound of tape degradation.
0: What is it about tape that is interesting to you Um, sound wise?
1: I think it just kind of feels like home to me. I mean, I started doing my first recordings with just like a crappy little tape machine I had when I lived on um, my farmhouse when I was much younger. It was kind of just like my first way of discovering how to record music and just that sense of warmth and just like the little artifacts that kind of make their way into um, cassette recordings has always just been really fascinating to me. The feel and the idea of audio degradation, it just seems like it fits in really well in this day and age when everything is just recorded really crisply. And even at home, you can get things to sound absolutely pristine. It just sounds cold to me when things are that way. So, the idea of like, using tape, it just feels really natural to me. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I well, remember hearing about a guy who found old recordings and he ended up, like, the tape was so old that he knew he would only have one chance to record it, basically. Hmm. Oh, uh, it disintegrated. yeah.
1: It's William Basinski for the Disintegration Loops.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember who that was. but Yeah.
1: I am yeah, a massive, massive fan. <laughs>
0: The disintegration loops, how old were those tapes?
1: I think he made them in the 70s and 80s using just kind of like weird synthesizer drone stuff. They had been buried away for like a really long time and he just totally forgot about them. And Like you said, um, they were just so worn down when he played them back that he only had one chance to. So when you're listening to like the recordings, you're actually listening to the magnetic tape like falling away from uh, the upper part of the tape. I think as like the story goes, he was listening to the final masters on like the day of September 11th. He was listening to them and looking out his window and watching the Twin Towers fall down. Consequently, that kind of imagery is tied into it every time I listen to it now. So what inspired
0: you to move to New York from Toronto?
1: I'd been living in Toronto for about three and a half years on my own. And part of me just wanted a, a change, and I'd been a, a long distance relationship with my boyfriend Brian for a, about a year and a half, and he was living in California at the time, and I was living in Toronto, and we kind of like made a pact to both move to New York, and yeah, now we live here together and have been here since uh, September.
0: What's your studio like?
1: Uh, my studio is pretty simple. Um, I just have like a tiny little room in our apartment here. I have my laptop, which I record everything on. I have about three or four different tape machines. Um, one kind of portable reel-to-reel, one bigger, like, four-track reel-to-reel, and a bunch of, like, little cassette machines.
0: Your record label is actually a cassette tape label. Yeah, that's right. uh, that's, uh it seems to be pretty novel. I don't know. <laughs> are there other people out there doing that, releasing cassette tapes?
1: Yeah, there's actually, like, a... pretty large amount of cassette labels and it's kind of like what gave me the confidence to actually start one in the first place. So I knew I wanted to start a label but I didn't have the money to really do anything like CDs or vinyl, God forbid. When I still lived in Toronto there was a place that sold blank cassette tapes that was really close to me so um, it was never too expensive to just go and get a batch and then sell them online. It's been more successful I guess than I would have ever originally thought. The label's been doing well enough that I don't have to kind of worry about getting a job right now, which is pretty fantastic. It really allows me just time to work on music and get things done before I try and put it out into the world.
0: What advice would you have for someone who's thinking about starting a
1: label? You should definitely do it because it's a really rewarding process. And, I mean, there's always room for these kind of, like, smaller labels, especially in the world of internet music where there's always new people creating really amazing things and people are always making really amazing connections make lots of connections with other labels too because they'll always help you out a lot and people who kind of run like these smaller online labels are always really friendly
0: I noticed you do kind of limited releases like 25 tapes at a time I don't know do you find that works out pretty well
1: yeah it works out really well I'm really interested in kind of like the DIY aspect of things and doing these kind of processes on your own and making really small batches of releases because it kind of makes things feel special to people and I think when people know there's only 25, it kind of increases its sentimental value rather than just creating like 500 copies or something or just creating them on demand as people order them. When you know like there's only 25, you know, when they're gone, they're gone.
0: So you've been giving your music away for free online, at least the digital versions. Mm -hmm. Has that worked out for you?
1: Yeah, that's worked out really well. Myself and a lot of my friends kind of give our music away because the way I see it, like Having people listening to your music and being able to access it for free is uh is more invaluable than people stumbling upon your music and not being able to listen to it or not being able to get it because they can't afford it. And uh, putting my music out there for free has been um, pretty instrumental in getting it out there to everybody that wouldn't have heard it otherwise.
0: Well, we have a fan question for you here. Okay, cool. Um, from one of your Twitter followers, Armel LP asks. Oh
1: yeah, Armel. I... Yeah, she's a friend, she's a friend of mine. She's awesome. Okay. And she, she helped to put um my first shows together in uh in Lyon in France when I went there last year, and she's a she's a sweetheart.
0: Oh awesome. Well um she asks, Warren, what's your cat's name? Will he be on your next cover? Heart.
1: <laughs> um I have about five cats, so I could oh. I could fit them all on the cover, and it'd be like one of those like cat calendars where it's like <laughs> like an like an Geddes photo or something, just like soft lighting and cats. I actually don't have album artwork yet, so that could work out really okay. well. Okay. Um, but there.
0: Yep, cuteness factor. That'll that'll
1: sell. I always I always go for the cuteness factor. That's that's not something that I skimp on at all. <laughs> so that'll definitely work out. Um, I have a lot of cats though two or three at my mom's house and my dad's house willow poogle uh, autumn midnight lady and uh i forget the last one and this is really bad i can't remember the last one because she actually just died like three days ago completely randomly and tragically oh no. i think she just like dropped dead <laughs> oh no yeah it's, <laughs> i shouldn't be laughing it's not funny but it's just Silly. Oh, her name was Roxy. That's right. Yeah. Rest in peace. eternally, Roxy.
0: Song School Night on your last album, Alberto. Would you be interested in talking about that one?
1: Yeah, sure. That song was written originally with uh, my friend Matt Cothran of the band Coma Cinema who's one of my favorite bands of all time and probably the most talented person that I know. We did a really minimal version of that song a long time ago and I ended up doing like a Foxes in Fiction version of it afterwards for this album and made it a lot more layered and dense and more of just like a depressing slow jam, I guess. back I kind of like the original version more this man approached me randomly in Toronto one night with a kind of like this story saying that his daughter was in the hospital and um, her name was Sadia he needed to get home to his hometown in London, Ontario, but his wallet had been stolen. So he needed $15 to get on the bus. He had like a photo of her and everything. And it just seemed like he was really in a dire situation. And I mean, I think a lot of people kind of get approached about those kind of things in Toronto or any city and kind of brush it off as just kind of a story, but it was definitely a very sincere, uh, situation. And for some reason, it really really stuck with me, and um, I decided to help him out and gave him the money that he needed, and he was just very grateful never died. The
2: on your, side. Never
0: died. your songs, do you tend to write them? Starting with an emotion or starting with a cool melody idea, or
1: there's really no like one set formula for how I write certain songs. I mean, a lot of the time I'll just have like a photograph or something or an image, and I kind of like try and distill like a feeling or emotion from that, and then write a song or a drone piece around it. I mean, for all the things I've done in the past, I've actually always started with artwork and then built the songs around that to try and like match it in a really kind of arbitrary way i guess
0: when you take an image and turn that into music how do you relate the two
1: it's a pretty unconscious process it's pretty much just like keeping that image in mind when you're coming up with certain things and kind of i don't know just relating things like tones or colors or just kind of the visceral feeling that you get from it i don't really know how to explain it it's just kind of like an unspoken link between uh imagery and music and kinda of trying to use physical instruments to bridge the two. And I mean there's no real right way to do it, but uh, it's just something I don't know. I try and have fun with. Just kind of an exercise I do.
0: And I actually um kind of a form weekend... of
1: synesthesia, I guess.
0: <laughs> What's it?
1: Oh kind of like a almost like a form of synesthesia, I guess. Where these weird things overlap and like music is colors or you kind of hear certain music from like looking at images or colors or something. Just just weird stuff like that.
0: Does that actually happen to you?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something I kind of uh, experienced. I'm just like getting almost like color sensations from like certain music or listening to things and seeing them as like these images of like tones in my mind, I guess. And it's kind of just like reverse engineering from that and trying to kind of bridge photography and music. I don't know. I'm not very articulate with it, but that oh, is...
0: This is the strangest coincidence this weekend, two days ago. I interviewed someone who actually is synesthetic. Also, oh really? Yeah, oh, and she wow. has this same thing where she thinks of an image and suddenly music comes to her.
1: Oh wow, that's that's crazy. That's so wild. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a cool coincidence. Yeah, I I don't know really anybody else I don't really that has that same thing happen to them. Crazy. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh man,
0: the we had like a. Hour-long talk about it. <laughs> wow. She also sees colors, mm-hmm. not like visually sees them, but associates yeah. it with them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it. Well, geez. <laughs> All right, well, where to begin with the questioning for you? <laughs> I feel like kind of a scientist now. There you like,
2: go. Got a probe um, now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you remember when you realized that other people don't experience music and images that way.
1: It was kind of something that I assume just happened with everybody whenever they listen to music or uh, just when they see certain images that really resonate with them. And uh, it wasn't really until like probably high school or so when um, I started meeting other people and kind of like relating these um, these sensations to them and I met a couple of people who uh, had kind of similar things but it wasn't exactly with the same kind of like music and image thing. They would experience certain colors or certain sensations when they saw like letters or numbers they would start to like associate like certain colors or i think even like like personality traits with them just weird things like that but uh just through talking to them and then like talking to other people i kind of realized that it wasn't such a common thing
0: when you have an image in your head is it like melodies that come to you or harmonies or just a mood of music
1: it can be any real number of those things. Sometimes it'll just kind of be like a certain tone or like a certain melody or uh, just something that repeats itself over and over and the process kind of becomes like extracting that from this like abstract thought that you have and trying to place it into something tangible.
0: If I were to say an image to you right now, <laughs> would something pop into your head?
1: Mm. Um, I mean, I think for me, in most cases, it usually has to be something pretty visual. Like, it has to be something I'm looking at to kind of, like, get a, a sensation like that. Okay. Hmm. Um, rather than just kind of, like, um, like thinking about, like, an image or something.
0: Sure. How has um, your extra sensing changed how you do music, do you think?
1: I don't know. I, I think it's, like, kind of always just been pretty intrinsic to the whole process. I mean, it's something I've kind of always just had there whenever I was making music or writing or recording. And uh, coming up with artwork that really ties into what I'm trying to convey with music has always been really important to me. So there's never really been a separation between them in my mind. They've always just been as important as the other during the whole process. Hmm.
0: Do you ever, if you see a, a person or have this image of a person, do you associate
1: it, kind of a song with them? Not synesthetically, um, maybe if there's like a specific incident where there was like a song playing in a specific scenario where they were there, then I might associate it, but not in the same way that it would be like colors and music, I guess. So no, not really.
0: Okay. If you ever get sick of talking about this too, we could move on to something else. Oh, but... no,
1: no, it's all good. I actually don't really uh, get the chance to talk about it. Um, I don't even remember the last time I was actually brought up. It's not really something to talk about that much, I guess. Do you remember what age you were when you, like, realized that? I can't even really name, like, a specific age. It's kind of just always been something that's been there as far back as I know that I've been listening to music. Even just my earliest memories of music, it's always just been, like, bright sensations of, like, certain colors that I've associated with, like, listening to favorite songs or favorite bands.
0: What kind of music is the best looking, would you say, (laughs) has the best visual impact on you?
1: Oh man, there's just so much ambient and drone stuff that um I really, really love that I just, I tend to get the brightest sensations from. Less kind of pop music and more drone and uh, kind of slow moving ambient stuff. I think that's why I like it so much. But definitely like a lot of stuff like Brian Eno and um, kind of like the dronier parts of like Atlas Sound and Benoit Pouillard and uh, Harold Budd and I guess even like Cocteau Twins. So kind of like dreamier, ethereal kind of stuff. Stuff is kind of like designed specifically to like be like bright and kind of like evocative and dreamy, like dream pop, I guess. And do those have like a similar
0: shade of color in your mind or?
1: Uh, it's different for each of them, but it's usually just calming pastels, I guess. Huh.
0: And for you, does it kind of change throughout songs?
1: Yeah, it kind of changes throughout songs. It's not really something that's static. It kind of changes for like each artist and each song and yeah it's not really something that stays the same.
0: When you listen back to your own music do you see colors?
1: More uh, more so during like the initial writing process. I think because I kind of like listen back to things so often during like the production period it kind of like removes it from me I guess. I mean I start to think of things from such like a production standpoint that uh a lot of the time it kind of loses its allure or like it's kind of like shading to me I mean it's kind of why I had to like stop last night at like 6 a.m everything just kind of started to sound like really flat and muddy and just kind of freaking me out I just had to stop (laughs) is there one of
0: your songs that has a really powerful color to you when you listen back to it
1: probably one of my favorite ones just in terms of kind of like the image I get from it and just the sensation I get is the fourth one on Swung from the Branches, I'm Sleeping, Building, Unsuspecting. Which is actually I think one that not too many people ever dug that much but uh, it's always kind of been my favorite from that side of the album. And it kind of came out perfectly, like exactly how I wanted it to. And I guess it's kind of like less of a color and more of like an image. I kind of just had like this image of this Big monolithic apartment building surrounded by snow, and everybody's asleep in this building except for this one person going crazy with like their own neuroses and anxieties. It's kind of what I tried to capture with that song because that was kind of was me at that point actually. (laughs) I was just still um, a very shaken up person at that point. It was still kind of really soon after um. My younger brother had passed away and I was still kind of recovering from this really terrible mental breakdown that I had had and I was kind of dealing with the addiction to um, anti-anxiety medication and it was like still my first couple months in university and living away from home for the first time. I'm kind of like a naturally anxious person as it is but this added load on my mind was just making me go crazy and it was like the genesis for like this whole album was just these late night recording um, sessions, trying to make this album, and just kind of trying to feel better about myself. I'm putting all these like anxieties into something concrete. <laughs> Basement window is uh, another one that has a kind of a really strong image to me. The nights that I would spend um, with my friends taking MDMA or ecstasy and kinda of having like this really amazing night and staying up all night, like being on this really like amazing, transformative, just kind of like positive drug. But then the morning rolling around and everybody just being super spaced out and just kind of out of it and like realizing the reality that's still outside and you just like look out the basement window and see the world outside and realize that things weren't always as positive as uh you'd experience them a couple hours prior to that. And I don't know, sometimes that can be like a really uh, sobering feeling.
0: What was it that felt like a turning point for you when you were in this phase of your life that was pretty tough?
1: It was pretty closely linked to like finishing the recording of this album. Um, it was the first time I'd really ever finished anything of like that magnitude before. And this thing I could almost call like an album, just to have something like that was just a really cool feeling. I'd always been, like, really passionate and really into music, but I never knew it could actually uh, heal a person, which it fully can. Yeah.
0: Do you have any advice for people who are kind of in a dark spot in their lives?
1: I mean, the best thing that I did at that time was, uh, was just to try and put that darkness and that pain into something creative and try and create something tangible out of it and just kind of leave it behind in, in that sense if you're a creative person, that's definitely like the best advice I can give you and the best thing that you can do.
0: Well, Warren, it's been awesome talking to you.
1: Yeah, it's been awesome talking to you too. Uh, Thanks again for the interview and all the good questions.
0: Yeah. And for people who want to hear your music or get a tape sent to them, where (laughs) should they go?
1: Um, All that information and all that stuff is on my website, foxesinfiction.ca. And uh, there's like links to downloads and places where you can buy cassette tapes thanks again warren yeah thank you it was uh, a lot of fun yeah it
0: was thanks for joining me on this episode of composer quest with warren hildebrand remember you can get all his foxes and fiction stuff for free and i'll have links to all the music at composerquest.com just search for this episode warren also has a new ep coming out pretty soon that i got a sneak preview of and it sounds fantastic so make sure to check out his site and stay posted. As always, I would love to hear from you at facebook.com composerquest or twitter.com composerquest. Let me know how you found the podcast. Also, a very big thanks to William Basinski for letting us use a piece of his disintegration loops in this episode. And now, I'll leave you with a brand new piece of music from Warren Hildebrand that he made specifically for this episode of ComposerQuest. He actually recorded every track on the spot, improvised, without any editing. So enjoy this creation from Warren Hildebrand.